Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C I double Z Y. You know, curls popping in the E I. You know what I'm saying? We here, we live action. We have yet another guest. I tell y'all every week, look, I'm coming back with the guest, and I ain't lied to y'all yet. Why? Why have I not lied? Because truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues, and we popping out here. So, boom. With that being said, we have a friend. A, 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 what would you call it? If I'm a fan of you, a star, shoot, a, a low-key star in my eyes, you know what I'm saying? Um, she, she is the creator of one of my favorite songs that I still listen to this day called a Chelsea song. So y'all gonna go check that out once we get to that point. But, um, we have Nina. Introduce yourself, my, 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 my long lost friend. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? Yes, my name is Nina Rowe. Uh, I am a singer, a songwriter, a writer um, from Detroit, Michigan. And I've been based in lots of different places across the last few years, but currently in Detroit. Lit, lit. And speaking of that, speaking of being based in a lot of different places in the past few years, like last time I like checked in with you, you were in like SoCal. Then then I like checked in again and you were in Chicago and then now you're in Detroit. Run us the timeline real quick. Like where, where were you like over the past three years? Okay. Over the past three years. So I graduated from Michigan state university um, with my degree in sociology. And then that fall I moved to Southern California to basically do like grassroots community building work. Um, and that's kind of where my like serious music career was reignited while I was down there doing that. And then after my one year sort of fellowship came to a close, I came back home for a year. And that's when I wrote the majority of my singles that have been coming out over the course of the last year. And then I applied for graduate programs while I was home. And that's what took me to Chicago. I was actually in Chicago getting my master's in journalism. And then it was an accelerated program. So it was just one year. And so I graduated with my master's actually a few weeks ago. Hey, congratulations. Hey, listen, if you at home listening right now, go ahead and clap for the lady. <laughs> clap for the lady. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, like I, at the beginning of this year, like, I was in the middle of my master's program, but I also was doing like, there was a point where I was doing like three, four shows a week yeah. on top of class and like everything. And I was also freelancing stories with like other publications. So that school shows like recording. So it was definitely hectic. Um, but I'm super grateful for everything that I learned, you know, through school and then just the life lessons that came along with being in Chicago um and yeah I wrapped up at the end of August and I came back home to Detroit and yeah I'm here for now I'm just taking the next few months to concentrate on my EP um getting those songs done and hopefully having a project out by the beginning of next year 
I'm, I'm ready for that 2021 project, whatever it's ends up being called, whatever amount of songs, Collis's ears <laughs> is going to be there and, and ready when it, when it pops out. Um, so tell me a little bit about Detroit. Like, how did your family end up in Detroit? And honestly, you're literally like the only person, I think, maybe like one other person in my life that I know from Detroit, like, which is kind of crazy because Detroit's, you know, like it is a major city. I mean, it's not LA, it's not New York City, but it's a known city. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's kind of weird that I literally only know two people from there. So I know nothing about Detroit besides what I see on documentaries and stuff. So please share with me how your family ended up in Detroit. Yeah, so I think, first of all, like, let me say that I think in terms of who I am as a person and who I am as an artist, I think is just as much because of Detroit as it is because of my Iranian background and heritage. Hmm. So the city played a huge role in my development, both intellectually, spiritually, and creatively. Um, so my, my, the reason we ended up in Detroit is because my dad, my dad and my mom didn't marry until later in life. They, they didn't kind of cross paths really until later in life. And so my mom came over to, uh, Canada as a refugee with my sister after the revolution in Iran where they were persecuted for religious reasons. They had to escape. They landed in Canada. And my dad was in Detroit, working for the city of Detroit finance department. Because my dad came here. Because a lot of times with, with um, immigrant populations, you kind of go wherever you have family. It could be the most random place. It could be, you know, a place that, like, it's not always a major city. Like, you might have family in Minnesota or Idaho or somewhere that's not a major city, and you just, everybody then migrates there, and then you end up with, like, a really random cultural population there because people just go where their relatives are. So that's kind of what landed my dad in Detroit is because my aunt married someone, and he was a doctor, and so a surgeon, and so he got placed at a hospital in Michigan so they moved to Michigan, and then my dad and my uncle also came to Michigan. So my dad went to Eastern Michigan University, and that's where he did his undergrad, and that's where he got his master's. And then the first job he got was at the City of Detroit Finance Department, and that is the job he just retired from a few months ago. So he worked there for like 20, over 26 years. Hey, consistency. Yep, consistency. And that's like a thing I think of like the older generation, like staying in one job for that long, like us millennials, like we are so transient when it comes to that sort of thing Um, i would say it's honorable though like that's one thing is like obviously nowadays like you just like you just shared right there like with with this new generation like that's not what we're doing at all (laughs) and like when my parents try to tell me that like it turns into a whole argument because like it's just we're two totally different generations but like that's super honorable like to think that somebody like dedicated you know so much time so much effort because the city was like bank it went bankrupt like the city was not when my dad, my dad started working for the city in the early 90s, and the city was not in a good place financially in, on many other fronts, because Detroit at its peak had 1.8 million people living in the city, and 1.1 million people left between the 1960s and, like, the early 2000s, and that was a result, like, largely a result of white flight 
because and for those people who don't know what white flight was essentially like due to the mistreatment of the black community in Detroit it reached a boiling point where black Detroiters were like enough is enough and you started to see protests and as we've seen recently sometimes the protests would escalate you know and so instead of people kind of sitting down and being like all right like let's see what these people's grievances are let's see how we can fix this the solution was to run away and to flee from Detroit and so then when you have all these white people leaving then what ends up happening businesses leave you know like because they're seen as the source of money and so you had this large influx of people leave the city of Detroit which basically left the city in ruins because when you have all these people leave you lose resources right and so then the suburbs started to develop and the city was kind of left on its own and so like that's why when people say like some people are saying this is the new Detroit, Detroit's coming back. You have another group of people who are like, Detroit never left. Like there were still Detroiters living here struggling and like trying to make something beautiful out of what everybody left behind. And I think like that's part of what makes me so like proud of the city that I come from. Like I was born and raised on the east side of Detroit. When I was 13, my family moved away into the suburbs during the housing market crash because the high school that we were close to at the time it was Finney. And it was not a very good high school. And so they didn't want me to go to school there. My sister got into Cast Tech, which is like one of the best. That's where Big Sean went. That's like one of the best schools in the city. But I didn't have Cast Tech grades. Mm -hmm. And so because my parents were like concerned about what would happen with me, they moved to the suburbs. But like I spent most of my formative years in the city. And honestly, like growing up as a young, you know, as an Iranian person in a black community is not something you see every day. It's not a very common thing that happens, but I'm super grateful for it because I feel like it really like helped me become an advocate and helped me become a resource to the Persian community, especially when it comes to like overcoming some of their own prejudices, a lot of the prejudices that exist in our community. And it also informed my music a lot. And I'm very open about that. You know, like I would never take ownership for the influences in my sound because I know they're not mine. And I'm really grateful that I was exposed to what I was exposed to. That was that was a beautiful way of sharing, you know, a little bit about Detroit with a mix of your history and its history, because that was a little educational for young Collis here, you know. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> just some, some random questions about Detroit. If you were to if you were to like give me like, you know, I'll pull up in the city. I want to get some like fire food. What are like two spots that I'm going to go to? And like, what, what do they serve? Like, what are, what are your go to spots? specifically Detroit though like the city don't give me anything like random somewhere else outside of Detroit I know I got you so one of the Detroit staples are coney dogs like Hmm. there's a coney but it's not it like they're called conies but they're really like diners and they serve the coney dog but they also serve like a lot of other like diner foods um like sandwiches and like you know chicken wings and fries and like those types of things too but the coney dog is essentially kind of like a chili dog and that's like a kind of like a detroit staple so it's something that's highly publicized but like the conies downtown are the conies that like tourists come and go to but then like there's conies on eight mile that are really good and there was like a coney by my house on the east side that was really good like 
So that's one staple Detroit thing is like Coney Islands. It's like getting a Coney or going to a Coney. So I would definitely say that's a Detroit thing. Um, Fago, Red Pop, like just the Fago Pops in general, they're all made in Detroit, like that line of soda. Um, so that's another staple Detroit thing. Like I remember we would always go to like a corner store and I would get my Fago Red Pop. And like the, they would sell like cheese bread and like pizza slices at the corner Ooh, store. Cheese bread sound fire. <laughs> and we would pick that up. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I like, I hate to admit this because it's like kind of like a sin for me to be saying this, but like sure. I've never had Captain J's, but like Captain J's is like a staple, another Detroit staple. Captain J's, what type of food they serve? It's like chicken. Ch- okay. That's not far, Captain J's. But I've never had it. And and it's crazy, though, because, like, even growing up, I don't ever remember seeing one. And so mm. then, like, people have never had it. I'm like, no, like, I don't even remember seeing a place. Um, Yeah, so those are some things that I can think of off the top of my head that I would say. And there's, like, there has good pizza, too. Um, hey, well, well, all like, – what, what do you call, like, like – all right, for example, like – Oh, and better made chips. Sorry, that's another thing. Better made chips. Better made chips. Yes, yeah, like the brand is called Better Made, and they have they're they're the only barbecue chip that I will eat is the Better Made barbecue chips. They're I like, like the barbecue, barbecue chips. So they some special barbecue chips. Then I'm I'm definitely gonna enjoy that. So tell me a little bit about yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> tell me a little bit about because you mentioned it like quickly there, but tell me like educate the people who know nothing about like Detroit about eight mile. What is eight mile? Why did they call that movie that Eminem's in eight mile? Like what is that like a long ass road or something? Like, for example, like here in Kansas city, like, go ahead. In Detroit, look, okay. So if you're driving down 75, which is like the major highway. So basically like part of Detroit's history is that we had this big like highway, interstate 75 that was built basically do you know what eminent domain is yes yes actually i learned it from (laughs) jay-z yeah so for those people who don't know eminent domain is essentially when the government can take land away from citizens in quote-unquote what's for the greater good of the community and they pay them but a lot of times most of the times they don't give them what the land is actually worth so there was a community known as paradise valley or Black Bottom, that's what they were, it was referred to as, and it was, like, a thriving Black community with lots of Black-owned businesses, churches, schools, like, it was, like, a, a beacon, right, and, and they used eminent domain to take that land away from these people and build a freeway on top of their community, mm. and people were dispersed, and, and they never really got to recoup what, what that community was, and so that's this Interstate 75, it was part of that highway that was built over that community, and so, when you're driving down the highway, you hit mile roads. In between each mile roads, there's a mile. So it's like, but it's it starts at like six, I think, like five, four, three. There's no like three mile road. It has like an actual name. And I'm I'm not well versed enough to know what each one is called. But when you get up to eight mile, eight mile is essentially like Michigan's one of the most segregated states in the country. And so eight mile is essentially the divider between Detroit and its suburbs. And that, in other words, it served as a divider between white community and the black community. And so there was a sociologist who made a map and he put like dots to represent people. 
and there was like blue dots and green dots that represented black and white people. And if you look on the map and you see eight mile, it's like a sea of blue and a sea of green on either side of it. So it's really just like, it's kind of like a racial divider. Um, and like the difference is pretty stark. Like when you're there, there's a lot of places in around like that border Detroit that like, like another place is Gross Point. Like if you go, drive, like not even drive, if you walk half a block, either direction, it's like you're in two completely different worlds. And so like eight mile signifies that div- division between Detroit and the suburbs, essentially. Got you. Yeah. So for all Kansas Cityans listening right now, essentially eight mile is like truce to Ave for, for us. So that, that, that I feel like every like, like city kind of has like something similar to that. Um, but yeah, same thing here in like Truce. Like there's a there's a road called Truce who's like it's actually like named after I'm pretty sure a slave owner. But um it yeah. like but it like it's like a long road, but same thing. We have like a map. If you look at the map, it's the same thing, like dots and then like you see you see the stark the extreme difference on on, on both sides. So and it's so funny because like when my family would come visit us, they're like after the movie came out, they were like, Take us to eight mile and I'm like, There's literally nothing to see like it's tire shops and strip clubs. Like, that's it. Literally, 8 Mile is just, like, tire shop, tire shop, strip club, strip club, strip club. Like, that's, it's, like, all. And it's funny because the Detroit Baha'i Center used to be, like, over there. So it was, like, you'd be going to the Baha'i Center, and then it was just, like, mad strip club. Strip club, strip club, strip club. <laughs> Baha'i Center, strip club, strip club. Lit, 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 lit. <laughs> I love it. Um, so... Okay, this would be my. I, now I'm like all interested in Detroit, but like let's let's focus. <laughs> right, let's let's focus. Let's focus. Um, so you spoke about like you know your formative years, like going up to 13, being um, you said on the east side of Detroit, correct? So I, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to get the. I'm trying to get the directions right. Um, oh yeah, east side west side is important. You got it. Perfect. Gotta perfect. I, I think I think I got it down <laughs> for now. Um, so. One of the questions I had written down, and then especially with you sharing that, like, you know, like you said, like uh, a Persian girl growing up in like a predominantly black area is not something that you see all the time. I mean, it's just, just a fact. <laughs> you don't, you don't yeah. see all the time. So, I mean, did you find it like, um, you know, just growing up, not around mad Persians when you went to school, not around like, you know, also having like a, you know, a different background that you're coming from did you feel it was challenging to like embrace your culture at all in any way or not <laughs> yeah I mean I had I had a crazy identity crisis like in middle school and in high school and debatably in part of college like I had a major identity crisis because like I didn't identify first of all I wasn't around a lot of white people and I also didn't identify with what I believe to be whiteness, but also obviously, like, obviously I'm not black either. Right. So it's like, but I'm not Latino, but then there were many other options. Right. But then what was tricky. And I mean, I'm using the word tricky for it. Somebody else would probably use a different word is that I grew up in the nine 11 era. And so when nine 11 happened, I was in a, in kindergarten, I want to say elementary. I'm not, sure somewhere around there I think there. you're a year or two older than me and I was in preschool so you, yeah probably. I think I was in kindergarten and so I remember being like I remember in elementary school I used to get made fun of a lot um bullied you could even say like for my middle eastern 
heritage. People would, you know, say that we're suicide bombers. People would say that, like, oh, your dad, like, owns a gas station, <laughs> like, because all the, you know, gas station owners were Arab. We're not even Arab. Um, (laughs) right they would make fun of me because I was hairy because I had a unibrow you know like all these things like the the food I would bring my mom would give me lunch and I you know I would take kebab and rice and they'd be like oh that smells like like poop or whatever like they would just say like super bogus things to me as a kid and like all I wanted was a lunchable I was like please just buy me a lunchable and let me go to school with a lunchable or some pop tarts like I don't want to take this and so I But, like, at the same time, when I would go to Canada and visit my family, like, I felt proud of my heritage because, like, I knew that it made us different. And and I've always, like, I've never, I've always been different. I've never lived somewhere where I was the same as everybody else. And so, like, I've I've come to embrace that. Um, So I never resented my culture. I never, like, I never, I've never... (sighs) I mean, that's hard to say, though, too, because let me say this. Black people never made me want to be white, but or no, no, sorry. Black people never made me want to be black, but white people made me want to be white. Mm-hmm. Like black people didn't make me want to not be Persian, but like being around white people made me not want to be, you know? So like when I would go to Gross Point and visit with the kids there that grew up in this affluent community, I would want to, you know straighten my hair and pluck my eyebrows and wear Hollister, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch. Like, I'd want to do that because I'd want to fit in with them. And even like when I went to school, because like in middle school, mostly, I think most, if not all my friends in middle school were black. And like, obviously that was the community I was living in. That was where I was going to school. So I would wear, you know, like the Rockaware and the baby fat and the Air Force Ones and like all that. But I never, but I was Persian. Like I knew I was Persian and I was okay with being Persian, right? It, they never made me not want to be Persian. They never made me want to downplay my Persianness. If anything, they like, they would be like, oh yeah, you're Persian. Like that's cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas like in those other settings, when I was in more affluent white circumstances during my middle school years, in those scenarios, I would feel like I wanted to, to align more with whiteness um because i felt ostracized and in those i felt like not enough you know like i felt inferior um and i think that's a race thing but i also think it's it's like a class thing because the average income in gross point is uh in so gross point there's like gross point farms gross point woods gross point park like there's multiple gross points and then one of the ones that was closest to us the average income was over ninety thousand dollars a year I'm like, we weren't making that kind of money. We were making anything close to that, you know? My mom at one point worked at Farmer Jack. It's a grocery store. Like, we were not affluent. Um, and so then when I was 13, we moved We moved to an affluent suburb. And then I had to start to keep up with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> like it was constantly, like, I never felt like I was somewhere where I just fit in. Mm-hmm. But, and when I was younger, I viewed that as, like, a shortcoming but now that I'm older, I'm so grateful that I never fit in, you know? And that's what I think it's like, that's one of, through my music and through who I am as an artist, like I want young people to understand and to realize that like the things that, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. The things that make you different are what makes you stand out. And the older you get, the more you want to stand out and the more that standing out is going to benefit you in the long run. Right. 
that's extreme facts and i love that you like like you know wrapped with that point because that's such a powerful like statement you know there's so many things that as we're like getting older we don't quite understand or grasp and then we like realize like what it you know like how grateful we should be for that once we grow older and are able to like um i guess think a little bit differently um but what that made me think about was nipsey hustle and how he preaches about authenticity so much and how powerful authenticity can be and and that's what you're talking about essentially is just being authentic and true to self and embracing whatever you're about but being a hundred percent whatever you're about you know what i'm saying and and you know you sharing that the the more you get older the more you'll 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 desire that and also the more valuable that is and that's just a hundred percent fact so thank mm -hmm. you for vibes yeah. um so let's 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 talk a little bit about your singing what's like and songwriting and writing in general let's uh let's let's dial it back what's your first memory um you can you can cover all three whether it's writing songwriting or singing but what's like your earliest memory of any of those three like you be, being interested or or talented at any of those three okay so ever since i was like a toddler my family used to like put me in front of our family and i would sing and dance like what and i was like a, i was like a britney spears stan as a child and so like <laughs> in backstreet boys and destiny's child and so, like, basically, my sister was 10 years, is 10 years older than me. So, like, anything she listened to, like, I listened to, like, heavy. And so, she listened to those people. And, you know, she had, like, the Brandy Monica Boy is Mine single CD. Like, these are all CDs, you know. So, I was always, like, singing these songs. Like, she had the 100% Genuine CD. And I had no business listening to Genuine at, like, seven. But, <laughs> but I was. Um, and so, like, I would always get up in front of my family and sing. Um, so I was always singing. I was always, and, like, my parents are, are musical. I mean, they never pursued it, but they're musical. My mom sings. My dad plays Persian instruments. Um, but, like, my first memory of, I don't know when I first wrote my first song, but I used to write, like, stories, like, chapter books when I was a kid. Like, I would write, like like stories like there'd be characters and like it'd be chapter one chapter two and like I recently found one of them and I was reading it and it was just like so funny um so I think like that was like probably the beginning of and I would always write about like what life I would have you know thought I would have wanted and whatever um and so it was, it was just like a little fantasy world that I would make for myself and write these little chapter books but that's the early summary I have but like even in high school in middle school I did choir I did musical theater like I've always been finding ways to like perform and sing and storytell and storytelling is such a big part of Persian culture too so like I was very much surrounded by it my always like it's you know how so though like how so speak a little bit more on that like how 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 so in regards to like storytelling and Persian culture like what do you mean by that well, I think storytelling, well, Persian culture specifically, I think it's tied in just because like we have such a rich history of poetry, like some of the most prominent poets in the world hailed from Iran. So like Saadi, Hafez, Rumi, um, just to name a few, you know, there's countless others. Um, Tahir was another Fine. famous Persian poet. Um, and so it's it's in the culture, it's embedded, but also like 
storytelling is a huge part of displaced communities and communities who can't go back to their homeland because there's no other way to carry on the culture other right. than telling stories. Like right, every, right. I've never been to Iran and I probably, I don't know if I ever will be able to go to Iran because of the state of the government and, and you know, the positioning of, of people of my religious background, people who are Baha'is, like we are highly oppressed in Iran, um, you know. So because of that, I don't know if I can ever go there. And, and so what I know about it is through stories that my family told me about their home and the vacations they'd go on and the house they grew up in and the villages that they'd visit and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so like, because of that, that's another reason why storytelling is, is such a big part of our culture is because it's the only way that we can really experience it. And I think that kind of like ties into what you're, you were saying about like, or what we were saying about authenticity. Like when you take your story, when you take like your experiences that you grew up around that like influenced you as an individual, and then you kind of like look at what you're doing now, you can see obviously how, how, how it integrates like I've read some of your articles which is you want to know something funny though is like you would like post you would like post something like on IG or like swipe up we not really a swipe up but long story short you'd post some of your articles on IG and then I'd like go read them but I didn't know I thought you were just posting an article and I never looked at who it was written by literally until I asked you to be on the podcast and then I was like <laughs> and then I was like kind of like looking through your uh, link tree and I was like hold up Tash I read this before she wrote this and, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and so so it's dope like where you see how like you know childhood like part your your family culture how you're raised like how different things integrate and influence you know artists as they get older and you can kind of see that in your songs like Chelsea's song I don't know what that song specifically about but you were definitely telling a story in the song or I don't know who it's yeah. about or what it's inspired by and I'm going to ask you that question but um but yeah like yes you can tell in all of your songs that you're telling a story whether it's you or someone else's story but anyways um I just think it's powerful how different things from our childhood from our culture from from things that are true to self, like integrate and influence us. As yeah, 100%. I agree. So even though this was a question for later, but since we're already on the topic, can we talk about Chelsea's song? Like yeah, where, where, where did, where did that song like come from? Like, why, how'd you come up with that? Like, what's it about? When'd you write it? I freaking love that song. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So man. Okay. So Chelsea's song I wrote Chelsea's song in August of 2017, and I was actually in San Diego when I wrote it. I was attending a training for the, I told you how I did a year yeah. where I was doing grassroots community building work, mm -hmm. and so I was attending a training to prepare me for that, and it was like a two-week-long, like, intensive, everyday, all-day training, and it, I knew, like, two of the people who were there, everybody else were people who I was just meeting for the first time who were also in this program. And so one of the girls that I met that I became friends with, um, we built a really strong, really like spiritual bond during our time together. And she confided in me and shared with me about um, a recent breakup that she had had and the way that like, it kind of led her back to her faith and kind of like 
reignited her relationship with God through that really painful, difficult breakup. And in the building that we were doing our training in, there was a piano in like the back. And so whenever we had these quick, like 10, 15 minute breaks, I would go and like play and whatever. And I started to write a song and I decided that I wanted to write it about her and this breakup that she had. And I started writing the song just in those little, little breaks. And finally, when I finished it, I, you know, told her I wrote the song about you and like, you want to hear it? And so I played it for her and she like really loved it and she was really touched by it, but I had no intention of like releasing it. It was just, I had no intention of pursuing music. Like, (laughs) like I was just like, (laughs) I was never taught that it was a realistic option like Mm, mm. especially like and and that's not only because I grew up in a Middle Eastern household but it's because like most parents don't encourage their kids to become artists you know like most parents encourage their kids to follow more conventional career paths that they believe to be stable because you know for the what they perceive to be the well-being of their child and so I always continued singing and, and, you know, not pursuing music, but, but engaging in it. And so when I moved up to the the place that I would be doing my community work, um, long story short, there was this guy who wanted me to sing on a song and I didn't really want to do it at first, but then like my friend was like, please, he wants you to do the song. Can you just do it? I was like, all right, fine. So I went and then he was like super in love with what I did on the song. And then he was like, do you have anything that you've written? And I was like, well, I just wrote the song a couple of weeks ago. Like, you want to hear it? And he's like, sure. I played it. And he's like, you have to release this. You have like, you know, hyping me up. Like I'll record it. And he had like, he had all the studio gear and everything. And I was like, all right, you know what? Like, why not? And so I recorded it. I released it and everything was just received so well. And a lot of opportunities started kind of falling in my lap as a result of it. And on top of that, I was like, all right, well, you know, like I want to do this now, but I don't have, first of all, like I was living off of stipends. Like I, I was doing basically volunteer work. I didn't, I wasn't making a lot of money. Right. So I couldn't go buy an interface and a mic and a piano and a this and a that. And so I was like, how am I supposed to do this? I don't even have a, my laptop broke. I didn't even have a computer. <laughs> and, asking. and so then a bunch of weird stuff started happening. Like I didn't have a computer. And then my sister's friend hit me up and was like, Hey, like, can you do a little bit of work for me for, she had this, you know, like initiative going on and she needed me to help her with it. And I was like, well, I don't have a computer, so I can't do it. And she's like, I I have a MacBook just sitting around. You want it? And I was like, uh, yeah. And so she just mailed me a free MacBook. Mm, Wow. And then after that, I was like, all right, I have a MacBook. Well, now I have to get logic. And so then, you know, off the record, I got a logic crack. <laughs> Don't nobody need to know that. We're going to bleep that out. <laughs> right. I got a logic crack. And then I needed a mic. And then my friend just had a mic sitting around and he gave it to me. And I needed a piano. And somebody literally was like, I have an upright piano. Can I store it at your apartment? I'm like, hell yeah. Like, just crazy. It was just crazy. Like, everything just, like, fell into my lap. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm pursuing music now. (laughs) Wow. So then I was, and I was like doing this like year of service, dedicating myself to my faith for a year. Like during that, this was the backdrop to this all happening. I was like, no, man, like I cannot, this is, if, if divine confirmation is real, this is it. 
Right. That's and what so, I was thinking. Man. And so then that was it. And Chelsea's song was really like the catalyst for all of this. Yo. Yo. That was a great story. First off, shout out to <laughs> shout out to Divine Confirmation. Now I might believe in it. <laughs> no that's a great story can you uh, talk a little bit just shortly because i still want to stay on the t- stay on the topic of music but real quick like um what was your inspiration behind like you know doing that grassroots program like working in the community like wh- why'd you make that decision after college to to go do that especially like although a year is a short time it's also kind of like a long time at the same time i don't know if that makes sense to people out there but like a year is a commitment you know it's not just like oh two weeks you know like a year is definitely a commitment so if you just touch on that quickly and then we'll keep talking about music i think um i think the way that we are socialized in this country specifically is to live a very me-centered life like everything that we do is informing the advancement of ourselves how can i where's the best school for me to go so i can get the best job like who are the best people for me to be friends with to make me feel good like who's the best person for me to date so that i can have the best relationship that i want like what's the best store for me to shop at so i can have the fits that i want to have like it's just me 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 and then when we get so trapped in the me 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 life becomes so dreary because when things aren't going right for you it's as if the whole world is falling apart and the whole world is falling apart actually but not because of your life and part of the reason the world is falling apart is because we are so centered in ourselves and so like for that reason i think it's important for us to dedicate time and space to serving other people into making our lives about other people and not being so centered on ourselves 24 seven, because listen, if you take time to put your ego aside or try to put your ego aside and work for the betterment of a community, right? Like you're getting better anyway. Like there's no way you're going to do that. And you're not improving, you know, like it's going to contribute to your well being, whether or not that's your intention. Right. But it's going to contribute to your well-being in ways that you trying to be direct about like self-improvement with quotes around it, like is not going to do for you. And so my motivate, part of my motivation in, in doing that year was because I felt like I had been, I've been blessed so much. And I don't mean blessed in terms of like material things. I mean, blessed in terms of like, the amazing people that I've had in my life and like the lessons that I've learned and the experiences that I've had. And I felt like I wanted to use what I've learned to connect and teach young people, but also to learn from them as well. And I think the friendships and the bonds that I formed in that year still are here today like some of the because I worked with a lot of young people I worked with like teenagers preteens and young adults and like one of the girls who I 
was working with him when I was down there, like she came and visited me right before COVID happened in Chicago. And like, we kicked it and like, I took her around the city and then like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're still like, those are my friends. Those are my family. And they're all doing really well. And like, to this day, we have like big sister, little sister dynamics. Um, And that's community. Like, that's what community is. Like, I may not be physically there with them, but first of all, it's, it was Southern California. Like I go there every year and I visit and I see them. Um, But I just want to be a positive like force in their lives you know and and for them to be that for me because like as much as like they lean on me I lean on them too um so I've just you know I got really tight with them and I think like the work that we all put in the people who are members of that community me as like a person being welcomed to that community like the work that we all put in together I think contributed to like a, a sustainable model that is still going on today. Beautiful, beautiful. I think it's it's important to point out, you know, just how important <laughs> it is to realize, um, like interdependence, like or interpersonal relationships, and like depending on, not depending on, but but um, engaging with with other individuals, engaging with like a community, like building friendships. Um, working with each other, um, all, all, the, all of these things, all of the above, how important they are, um, and how, like, doing the opposite of that doesn't really help us progress, like, just staying to ourselves, not, again, like you were mentioning at the beginning of what you said, like, having a me-focused or a me-centered attitude, like, these are, the, these types of attitudes are not only what's contributing to, like, the downfall of society, and, but also just, not contributing to our personal growth anyways like we may think it is because it's so me-centered we're like well if I'm getting more focused on me then I'm going to grow more when that's not really the reality um so that's powerful thank you for sharing that um I want to ask you like is there are there any musical influences from Detroit that like really inspire you when it comes to like songwriting or when it comes to singing like Detroit is such a oh my god infused culture like there's so much like history again the only thing i know about detroit is like documentaries about music and like like all the things that have gone on there in terms of music over the past 60 to 70 years so um talk about that a little bit Mm -hmm. talk about how that music culture like influenced you as an artist yeah so i mean everybody knows and if they don't know then they need to know (laughs) that detroit is like a musical beacon like in every sense and that I don't just mean like obviously Motown is huge is the huge part of um Detroit's like musical legacy but it even goes beyond that right like I'm pretty sure electronic music originated in Detroit like people don't always make that association because people associate like techno with white or European right but like techno was came to be in Detroit with black DJs like you know like it's not this white driven genre that it's become today a lot of genres become whitewashed I mean like I wrote a whole piece about how reggaeton became whitewashed like that's what ends up happening um great article by the way thank you (laughs) but Detroit yeah so Detroit has like a huge 
musical legacy, even in the rock and roll sector as well, like rock music, um, has a lot of Detroit has a lot of prominent rock musicians as well. Um, I think if I was going to tell you what were my biggest musical influences in Detroit, I've been listening to a lot of Aretha Franklin lately, and man, like I've obviously always known that she is one of the queens of soul music but Aretha Franklin as a songwriter too like the things that she would sing about the things that she would write about the way that she plays with her tones and her voice and her melodies like she knew her voice so well like she knew exactly what worked for her and like I literally will like listen to her songs and like try to like repeat the melodies and the runs and everything that she does and like I study it lately I've been like I would be you know because I drive to go to the studio a few times a week and on that drive I'm just like listening to Aretha Franklin songs um yeah I think I think she was incredible um and I draw a lot of lately I've been drawing a lot of inspiration from her um also Aaliyah was born in Detroit didn't even know that yes and I love her <laughs> and <laughs> I think she's a musical inspiration. I also think that she's like, or excuse me, she was born in New York, raised in Detroit. Um, she's a musical inspiration and she's like a fashion icon. Um, I loved the way that she presented herself. I loved her image as an artist. Like she was kind of mysterious. Like she didn't put everything out there. Like I and when I say she didn't put everything out there, I don't mean, like, physically. I just mean, like, in terms of who she was, her persona was kind of mysterious. Um, and so those are two individuals. And, like, obviously, Big Sean just put out an amazing project. Um, Detroit 2 just came out recently. And I've been, like, listening to it super, super heavy. It's been, like, Aretha Franklin and Detroit 2. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a solid mix. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't complain if it was on my playlist in the car. Man, and you know what? Like, I listened to some, like, I listened to a little bit of Sada Baby. Like, I listened to some of the Detroit rap. Um, Kansas City, Kansas City people freaking love Sada Baby. It was really? It's crazy. Like, like Sada they Baby. love. It's wild. Anyway. Oh, so funny. Yeah, I love him too. I, don't, I mean, I don't blame them. He's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I listen to him. I mean, I listen to like, I listen to all. I don't listen to techno. I'm not even going to front on you. Like, I don't listen to techno. But most facets of Detroit music, like, I, I am, you know, somewhat tapped into and I do listen to. Love it. Love it. And how do you kind of, like, approach, like, do you have, like, planned out, like, days where you're like, today I'm going to write a song or today I'm going to, um, like, record a song or today I'm going to freestyle. Like, how do you approach, how do you schedule, like, creating music or do you just let it come when it comes I mean I don't think I think letting it come when it comes for me is like a terrible approach Mm -hmm. because there's no like structure to that and I think in order to become like an expert at something you need structure and you need like um perseverance and diligence and when you kind of become "Eh, I'll do when I feel like it type thing like it may not always happen um, in terms of my recording sessions, like everything's scheduled, like, you know, we're going to meet the studio at X time to X time on this day and like, whatever, you know, it's not so rigid that if it's like, all right, it's like seven and like, we want to keep going, we're going to stop because it's seven. No, like, we're going to keep going. If we want to keep going, if inspiration flows, you 
you know, you go with it. Um, but because I was in my master's program, like I wasn't as disciplined about writing and recording at home on a regular basis. But now that I'm back in, back at my parents' place, like I'm now able to dedicate more time to, to trying to write and record every single day. Like the goal is to do it every day. Like you should be writing every day or doing something. And, and when I say writing, like you could, sometimes I'll make something and then, I, then I'm like, I'm never going to use this. But at least I got in the practice of writing and like composing and like playing the piano or like lately I've been trying to, you know, pick up a little bit of production. So I'll like make some drum patterns and like listen to different samples and like try to get my ear adjusted to those different things to, because even if I, I don't have any intention of becoming a producer, but it makes me more effective when I'm in a session with my producers to explain what it is that I'm looking for and to give more um, feedback and more insight into what what I want the music to sound like absolutely I love it I love it um can you talk a little bit about how like personally for you how important like social media is or like in in terms of branding for music and like as a as an artist like I mean do you think about that or or do you kind of just like because like personally I think naturally you just swaggy as hell you feel me like like I like you know because like like I've just put it out there for 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 the podcast listeners. I don't care. I'll be like complimenting in her DMs every single day for like the past four years. Like dead ass. Go look at the go look at the thread about her outfits, her shoes, the nails. Like, bro, she is popping at all times. But like, if y'all watching this on video right now, y'all peep the nails and the earrings. Like, don't cap, okay? But anyways, back to the point. Um, yeah. Do you do you think about like branding when it comes to being an artist, and how do you think about that? Um, I think I, I don't think, maybe I don't think about it as enough as I should, but it is important, obviously, like, it's very important, and I would be lying if I said it wasn't. Um, if somebody is an artist and they tell you that they're just posting something just because, they're probably not, like, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, like, obviously, we do this music thing because we're passionate about it and we love it, but we also need to pay our bills and we need (laughs) to pay off our student loans. And you know what I'm saying? Like we need to pay our car note. Like we have to profit off of this. This is an industry. And with that being said, like you have to be marketable. If you're not, you could have a crazy voice and crazy pen but if you are not marketable, then what you're not, what are you giving them? You know what I'm saying? Like, and when I say them, I mean the people in this industry who have the dollars to invest in you and to push you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, of course, like I'm, I'm cognizant of what I'm putting out there. I will never in a million years say or do something that is not in line with who I am genuinely. I will never do anything that I'm against just for clout or just for money or just for, you know what I'm saying? Like to appease a white collar person, but at the same time, I'm also knowing how to play up my characteristics that could be seen as unique or um, marketable because things are marketable for a reason, right? Like 
it's marketable because it, 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 people can connect to it. People are not stupid, you know, listeners, users, people on social media are not dumb. Like they, if they see something fake, they will call it out for being fake. Right. Right. And if they don't do that, they'll just cut it out of their feed and not pay attention ever again. They will follow you and they will stop listening to your music and they will move on to the next one, right? So you can't fake something. Huh? I said, I did that yesterday. Right, yeah. I mean, hey, we we do it every day, right? So it's like, you can only fake something for so long and that's why it's important to find, everybody has it. Find the things inside of you that are, are your superpowers and those are the things that are going to grasp attention and that are going to create connection. Thanks. I agree. Talk a little bit about your single new in town and um, just tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about winter heart. Tell me about some of the recent music you dropped, how you feel about it. I know I can't remember which one of those two songs it is, but I know I was like, maybe like last month or something was listening and I was looking at the streams. I was like, oh, they was, they running her song up out here. So yeah. tell me a little bit of how that feels and, and um, you yeah. know, maybe the, how you approached releasing the music. I mean, it, it's dope. Like I'm really happy with how both the songs did. Um, New in Town, new, well, New in Town wasn't supposed to be, Winter Heart was supposed to be the first single. And then we came out, we wrote New in Town, and I was like, yeah, I think this is it. And, you know, so we, the rollout, like, it was my first rollout, like, I creative directed it, my photographer, uh, Nate Sterley, he shot the cover art and did a, you know, great job at that. And I really just, like, did the bare minimum, honestly, and the song really just did way better than we all expected and not because it's not a great song it's a great song but just as an emergency art emerging artist with zero dollars behind her me like we didn't expect it to do the numbers that it did um so that was like obviously amazing and yeah we we got on some spotify playlists like algorithm playlists and then I landed this like super awesome thing with, with uh, Apple and Beats by Dre, which was awesome. And then Winter Heart came out in January. That was September, New in Town. And then Winter Heart was in January. And again, like it was a great rollout. Um, it got on Beats One Radio. Ebro premiered it, which was super dope. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it I'm happy with the way that both songs were received. Um, all the people who listen to my music are so gracious and so encouraging. And I'm so grateful for every single one of them who stream my music because like thinking back, to, like I, I looked the other day, I was on my, I was just like going through my old Tumblr account. And on my ask box, you know how you had like the little ask box or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was was a Tumblr fanatic. Okay, so one of the asks was like, somebody asked me what my dreams are. They're like, I see you sing, like, what are your dreams? I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, dreams aren't really realistic. So I'm going to go to college. Like, I just gave this like, yes. Like, I was just like, I was like, well, that's not really realistic. So I'm just, you know, I'm in college and whatever. And so- that's crazy where I was at like that it made me so sad I was like I was like 16 like I was 16 
and I was like saying that my dreams are not realistic and so I feel like if my 16 year old the 16 year old version of me was to see this version of me she would probably be like oh damn like you're doing it like you're really like wow you know and so yeah that feels really good and and I have I think by the time this podcast is going to be out I'll have a third single out um which I'm super 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 psyched about I love this song I'm so excited hey well that means that I'm excited too because you know if you think it's popping I'm probably gonna think it's popping. yeah so, and so I'm a big critic so <laughs> hey no nah, I'm ready it's like I listen I don't listen I don't even know how I would what genre I would put your music in but regardless of whatever it is I don't listen to your type of music like personally like you know what I'm saying so yeah. then when I so then when I be listening and like I don't care if you my friend or who you are like if I don't fuck with it, I'm gonna be like cancel I don't give a fuck like sorry but <laughs> but but like yo like I'm like yo this shit is fire I'll be running I'll be running it back in the car yo I'll be singing especially yo like your music is like snow music to me like when it's snowing outside like and I'm like driving and like I got a nice little you know old school uh rock aware hoodie on you know what I'm saying from the thrift <laughs> store you feel me and it's over my head and I'm tucked in you know hoodie tied up and I'm like oh, me. you know I'm like, oh. anyways but uh because so, so many of like my guy friends who listen to like mad rap right hit me about Chelsea song they're like I love this song like I know all the words I'm like really and they're like yeah no. and I'm that's great thank you like, <laughs> yo I'm telling you it's fire fire yeah um, so I just want to ask you like a few last questions and then we'll wrap it up I know I've kept you here for quite a while so thank you for your time today um listeners thank you guys for listening right now I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation with this an amazing individual again like she mentioned her single will be out when this episode comes out so go stream that just you'll you'll see her at name when this comes out go to her page you'll see it everywhere because we're gonna be out here reposting that ish you feel me um, <laughs> but uh tell me a little bit about your shows like you were talking about like um when you were doing your master's program this past year you were like performing like crazy so yeah. tell me a little bit about how you approach you know live performances what are some things you like what are some things you don't like yeah oh my god I love performing like I like Summer Walker hates performing I love performing like it's my favorite thing because I just like talking to people and like hanging out and like that's how I do performances like it's just like a hangout you know it's like you get to hang out with new people every time and like they're there to 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 check your music out and to see what's up with you and you know what I'm saying like you connect with them it's the best I think it's great um I don't rehearse in a traditional way like one of my really really close friends um Sienna Liggins she's a pop singer and before I did my first set of all original music, she like was like, all right, like come over and I'll help you rehearse and whatever. And so then like I was rehearsing and like she had me like walking all over the stage and doing all like ooh, ooh, like doing this and that with the mic. And I was just like, I was like, this is a lot. At that show, I did, you know, all that. And I was like, never again. Like, right. For now, not doing that. Like, it, it just, it's just not me, you know? And so at my, like, I think in th- this year, I did the most shows I've done any year. I probably did, like, 
well because of covid right like i i did like eight shows and then or more maybe like 10 shows and then you know with covid everything got crazy but i wouldn't rehearse like what i would say in between my songs like i would just get up there and wing it every time and like it's always nice when the audience like a little drunk because then you're like a little <laughs> funnier and like a little, funnier, a little right. better right 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 right. i would always be like can i not go first so they can get a little litty and then i can go up (laughs) intelligent hey strategy is everything man yeah no but there it was it's great i love performing like i like to kind of talk to the audience like ask them questions like when i perform winter heart like have y'all ever been in a situation ship you know like raise your hand you know just like making those connect right making those connections with people like it's so much fun like I love performing live and then you can do different stuff with the song and like take melodies in different directions like it's so much fun you can perform things that are not released like it's the best I cannot wait until this is all over so I can be back back out there (laughs) absolutely absolutely and 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 I told you before but then COVID hit but guarantee that you know, when things open back up and a little bit more chill, I'm definitely sliding through for a show. Please do. And, and for sure, for sure. It's been too, yeah. too many years. Um, so I have one final bonus surprise question that wasn't on our questions list, which most okay. of the questions I asked you weren't on the questions list. So, <laughs> so, so, so I hope you're ready for another, you know, situation of winging it. Um, but yeah, no. So again, I want to say thank you for your time today. You know, I know, I know life can be busy. I know, you know, I know you got music to be writing. I know you got music to be recording on top of other life situations. I know you got stuff to be writing. Um, yo, and like I said, all your articles have been super fire and informative and educational. And Thank your you posts, so absolutely. And your posts you share on IG are always valuable. If you're not looking fly, which is a blessing, then it's <laughs> then it's a valuable, you know, post uh, with information. So I think you're killing it out here. Like- it pick or the world is falling apart it's like <laughs> one of the hey, two. <laughs> yo 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 but it's like a, it's an educational the world is falling apart not just <laughs> not, i'm grabbing a charger but it's not okay. no it's like yo this is what's going on this is how you can help yeah this, action you know, items action exactly <laughs> and i think and also you just taught me that word there was a post it's funny you know how you like on IG and then you're like on some random page but then it'll show you like one of your friends that commented on this page or something like anyways long story short I was on the the Persian Instagram you know just Persian and there was like something they posted in like I was like scrolling down to the comments and your like comment popped up and it was like any action items and I was like what's action items and so I googled action items and I was like ah action items and then I was like shout out to Nina for educating me once again (laughs) but anyways Anyways, I just wanted to shower you with compliments because I think that's important to do every once in a while, you know, to really let people know the good things that they're doing in the world. And I think you're doing a lot. Plus, you're providing music, which, as we know in the Baha'i faith, is a ladder to the soul. And I think that you're doing a good job connecting, you know, your music with with people's hearts and souls. So you're doing a great job. Um, Final question. It's your last day on Earth. Um, It's your final and last day on Earth. All your social media posts are deleted. All your music is gone. All your songwriting, your your articles, everything is gone. Your great grandkids are sitting in front of you, and you have to leave them with one final piece of advice of how to live life. What are you gonna? Oh say? my god! <laughs> also, don't worry. You can you can give yourself a little. You can wait. You know the 
we can have a moment of silence so you can okay, think. Okay, okay. So what would be the advice I would give them? Exactly. Like what would be your final piece of advice? Like of how to live life, you know? They can't look at your IG to like see, oh, how'd she like go about life? They can't I have it. boom. I, have I would tell them that in life you are going to suffer regardless. So you might as well suffer on a path towards something that you're passionate about. I like that. That like would be a piece of advice. Boom, clap, clip, IG post. Nina says, boom, we ready. We got, we got, we got content. We got <laughs> <laughs> but no, again, thank you for that amazing answer. Thank you for all the, the in-depth, well, well, well communicated answers you shared today. Um, again, time is so valuable. So thank you for, for, you know, providing some of your time today. I really appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you doing this. I mean, like, You've always been one of the most positive, encouraging, like brightest people that I've met in life. Like if I had to do a top five, you're <laughs> definitely in there. So nice, thank you nice. for doing this as well. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Go ahead and leave them with your IG handle, where they can find you, your link tree, where, where, wherever they can find some of your music and articles. Go ahead and share. Yeah, the best place to find everything that's going on with me is through my IG, um, at Nina Rowe, and my Spotify, follow me, Apple Music, you guys can check me out there too, I'm on the major streaming platforms, and yes, single so far is out now, check it out. Perfect, and that's N-E-N-A-R-O-E, -E. there's a space in between there, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but yes, again, thank you. Thank you for your time. And listeners, thank you guys. Make sure you screenshot this, share it to your story, leave a five-star review below because that does help us grow. Ooh, I got bars. You heard that right there? Anyways. Yeah, um, <laughs> anyways, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, the culture talks. This is C I Double Z Y and Nina Rowe. We are out. Salute.